Welcome back to the Northeast Newscast. On this week's episode, publisher Michael Bushnell is sitting down with Glenn North, Director of Inclusive Learning and Creative Impact at the Kansas City Museum, for the second half of a conversation on race in Kansas City. Thanks for joining us. How excited are you to tell the story of, say, Nicodemus, Kansas? Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what Nicodemus, Kansas is. Right, right. right. Or, or, or Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. And you know what I'm talking about when I say Lake When you say Lake Placid, no. Not Nicodemus, yes, but Lake Placid, no. Uh, Lake Placid, Missouri mm-hmm. is, is down by Stover. Okay. And I'll see if I can't get my history correct. It was founded by a black dentist in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And it was during the time that Right after, in, a, in the mid-1930s, I think 1936 is when mm-hmm. Lake of the Ozarks was completed and they mm-hmm. started filling. That's when the dam yeah, was completed. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. All right, all you white people, they started getting, they started building cabins down at the lake and that mm-hmm. was a getaway spot. Well, you're separate but equal. Mm-hmm. So this dentist, and I want to say it was a dentist, I might have that wrong, but this individual founded Lake Placid. Mm-hmm. It's a smaller lake. It's down south of Stover, Missouri, down mm-hmm. on 135 Highway. But it's a rural area that was designed as a resort area for black people. It is ringing a bell, and I'm not just saying Mamie that. Hughes. Yeah, okay, that, yeah. That's the Mamie yeah. Hughes Wow, line. gotcha, okay. And her okay. family was one of those families yeah. that had a place down at Lake Placid. So all of the holidays, you know, you go down on weekends or yeah. whatever, and no holidays mm-hmm. and big picnics, mm-hmm. and they would get together. And it was, you know, they didn't have to worry about the outside world. Right. Right, coming right, in and right, right. you this and that and the other thing yeah. you don't belong here well yeah you do yeah uh, I want to look up this guy and you know I'm getting older Mike um, oh don't God, even no you name. got nothing here uh, buddy. The, <laughs> but um <laughs> so when I was at the this is why I trained a bell um uh they, uh, the Hughes family, they're related. I don't know if it's cousins. I don't know if it's. But that was the whole, I guess, from that standpoint. Hell Woodruff. Wood- yeah, yeah okay, Hell yeah. Woodruff, great uh, African-American painter and muralist uh, who did a, a series of murals uh, called the Amistad Murals. It was a depiction of the Amistad, Amistad Slave Revolt. And so uh, because the Hughes family is in some way related, and I mean intimately related mm-hmm. to uh, Hill Woodruff. Uh, when that exhibit came to the Nelson, uh, there was also an exhibit that was accompanying it at the Jazz Museum that had other works other than the mural that the family had collected of Hill Woodruff's uh, work. And uh, so that exhibit was at the American Jazz Museum. And that's where that conversation around Lake Placid came up. And I just had not thought much about it since then. And mm-hmm. like I said, it was just a conversation. It's not like we did a deep dive or anything. So I'm glad that you brought that back up because I really need to, to revisit that. Yeah. So anyway, I do a lot of rabbit trails. Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the things I really want to, I really hope that the museum under takes mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, Mamie needs to come in and sit down or mm-hmm. somebody needs to go out there and mm-hmm. sit down and do an oral history, mm-hmm. you know, just with her because just the, the period that she lived through yeah. and what she brings to the table in yeah. terms of Kansas City and, and progress as a whole. Absolutely. But going back to the original question, how excited are you to tell those stories? I'm very excited. Um, you know, just last night uh, we had a uh, a discussion, a presentation. Uh, the program was called Our Shared History, a Civil Conversation about Critical Race Theory. And so um, 
you're a journalist. You're, you're familiar with the 1619 Project mm-hmm. um, and the 1619 Project, which is which was a special project that came out uh, in the New York Times uh, that was originated by an incredible journalist, Nicole Hannah-Jones, was a project in which um, she uh, brought in um, historians, academicians, poets, artists, uh, people from just about every walk of life to talk about how um Our country, although, you know, in our collective kind of consciousness, we uh, say the American experiment started in 1776. But her contention was that in 1619, when the first 20 kidnapped Africans were brought to these shores, that that's where American history really starts. And so there was kind of this excavation of all of these stories like Lake Placid um, that, that have not been told and shared. And it was all collected in this special edition of the New York Times. And it just was took off like a wildfire. No one anticipated, you know, that it would be that popular. Right. And she did it um, in 2019, of course, to commemorate the 400th anniversary of that, you know, incident when those first 20 kidnapped Africans came here, which was the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade. Mm-hmm. So that really stirred up a lot of angst. Uh, especially with the last administration and people who see the world that way. And so um, this push uh, against what's being called critical race theory, from my way of seeing the world, is really just kind of a a red herring, a, a straw man, if you will, because critical race theory really started in the 80s. Um, a lot of people say that that uh, law professor Derek Bell coined the term. And what he was attempting to do is to get his students to really look critically at how race impacts laws and policy. And so if we look at the fact that, like, you know, the, the most glaring example, the one that's often used is like in the 1980s during the crack epidemic, if you got caught with powder cocaine, which was more typically used by white people, Mm -hmm. then, you know, there was a lighter sentence than if you were found having crack cocaine, which was more typically going to be a black person because it was a cheaper, you know, version of that. So anyway, looking at those things and why do they happen and how do we deal with that? That's critical race theory. But when we talk about black history, when we talk about the stories that we're talking about now, when we talk about, um, you know, the the dislocation uh, and, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, the genocide of indigenous people, when we look at, you know, how women have been treated historically in this country, when we look at those things, um, that's being lumped under critical race theory, which it's not. That's just history, right? Mm-hmm. And so what has happened is that there are now 28 states at least, including Missouri, that are pushing legislation to say you can't teach critical race theory in K-12. through Well, it wasn't being taught in K-12 through anyway. What they're really saying is, you know, any depiction of history that kind of deals with these, you know, difficult issues, we don't want to do that because their uh, rationale is that it just creates more racism. And, and I guess, when, so when do you deal with it? Yeah, I mean, I I deal with it every day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. In, in terms of education, right. what, you know, when do you teach it? And then you go right back to that whole, well, we learned about George Washington Carver. And mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. You know? And yeah. Nothing else. That's right, your... Right, right, right. You, anything else is out of your lane. Yeah. So when do you teach? 
So, so that is the question uh, that all of us are asking in that um, it, it's not even about like trying to topple the government or it's, it's not even about um, this, this slippery slope that, you know, you see people, if you've seen, you know, on social media or in the news, like these um, school board meetings where parents are coming in there enraged and, and saying, you know, I don't want my kids learning that. And then, you know, in an interview afterwards, they'll ask, well, what is it? And they don't know. <laughs> they, don't, <laughs> they don't even know. It's just a perception. So I think that. um yeah, it's just uh, it's just going to be an uphill battle because uh, this this ideology is really gaining a, a lot of momentum and it's 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 just really difficult to say um, how you change that way of thinking. Right. I mean, I, I don't I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I do know that we need to be having those conversations. And so last night, uh, Professor Albert Lowe, who uh, is a professor of African-American history, uh, primarily in the area of lynching and racial terror uh, and uh, Cornell Ellis, who has an organization called Brothers Liberating Our Communities and Block is the acronym. Um, but it <clears throat> he's saying, what, you know, what Black does, their mission is to get uh, more black men into uh, the K through 12, uh, you know, in, in, in schools so that, you know, young black men and young black women uh, can see a representation or a reflection of themselves in the classroom. We just, you know, more often than not, you don't encounter that many black men, you know, in K through 12. And so he's, he's trying to change that. But another thing, You're talking about K yeah. through 12 teaching, teaching. Absolutely. Right. I'm okay. sorry. Yeah. And, and um, so to go back to your, your friend who is the, the Naval officer mm -hmm. um, and who kind of quietly, um, you know, and, and is li a living example, you know, of, of how to, kind of dismantle these things that, that, that keep us segregated. I think that it's a, it's a blitz, right? I mean, everybody, whatever it is that you do well, you know, you, you bring that to the table in this fight um, to really be the country that America claims it is. You know, I think that, that we all take whatever tools that we have available, whatever talents um, that, that, that we have inherently, um, and you do what you can in the space that you're in. And I think that's that it speaks so much more to me, I think, than than the protest part. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it's you're living your history, mm -hmm. you're creating your mm -hmm. own history mm -hmm. uh, in that sense. And you're, you know, I hate to say this, but you're kind of you're in your own lane. Yeah. And you're doing your best. Yeah. To be the absolute best, which yeah. he, I mean, nobody can take that away. <laughs> nobody can. Yeah. But I like think Commander you need Blue those. I mean, <laughs> no, no, that's, but, that's, but I'm saying, but I think the the protesting has its place because if, if you're not making any noise somewhere, you know, folks are not really paying attention um, and, and, and folks are not always aware. You know what I mean? So the things that are done quietly within the system, I think, are necessary, but but for instance, um, so how do you go ahead? So how do you handle that in in the sense of the protest? Because uh, when you, when you looked at those protests, mm -hmm. Kansas City is a is a microcosm. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, there was, I, th- there, I think there were two different protests. Mm-hmm. Okay. Explain that. You know, there was, there, there was the George Floyd protest. Mm-hmm. And I think you had infiltrators, uh, yeah, Antifa yeah, or certainly. whoever, yeah, yeah, sure. that used that as mm-hmm. an opportunity to come in mm-hmm. and, and destroy property, mm-hmm. public, private, whatever. Yeah. Is your message lost then? Is your message diminished? Well, the attempt is to diminish it, right? The attempt is to diminish it. But I think that even with that attempt, those protests in some way inspire, in some way draw attention to, in some ways amplify whatever issue is being protested. Um, And so... I'm certainly not saying that's the only way to get things done, but I'm saying that it certainly is a way to get things done. And so, you know, language is so important. We've been talking about privilege and that kind of thing. So um, when uh, black people uh, or people of color are, are, you know, protesting and marching, uh, you know, or, or if it really just gets to a much higher level as happened here in Kansas city and, and in other parts of the the country, you know, the term riot is used. Uh, We prefer the term uprising, you know, Dr. King said, you know, riots, he was still using that word. It's time to take a break to thank our sponsors. Shemekas online market in Delhi offering catering and nationwide shipping at shemekasonline.com. Find their new deli at 16th and Swift in North Kansas city. Shemekas, where customers become friends and friends become family. From classics to campers, hot rods to hoopties, Seaberg Muffler, your exhaust headquarters since 1974. Armor Road in Burlington in North Kansas City, Missouri. And now back to the newscast. You know, that's the language of the unheard, right? The class that I'm teaching, bear with me, the African-American literature course that I'm teaching is called Rhetoric, Rage, and Resistance, a survey of activism in African-American literature. And so when you look at this 400-year history, when you look at the devastating, horrific, violent, horrifically violent things that happened during slavery, and then after slavery, right? So when when slavery ended, you know, there was no counseling. You know, there was no, you know, people weren't throwing the word tra- <laughs> trauma around. They you know, they didn't have grief counselors. Right, right, right. Like, exactly. Here, girl, well, exactly, yeah. exactly. You just had, you had to suck it up. And yeah, go on. you had to suck it up and go on. And then, you know, after that, you got, you know, all these years of, of lynching and racial terror. Um, then, you know, you get to the civil rights movement and, you know, they're, they're killing our leaders in wholesale numbers and, you know, you know, you got redlining and you got, you know, there's just all of these things. And every time somebody speaks up, it's like, well, what are you so mad about? Why are you so angry? You know, why don't we keep this thing nonviolent? But that's not what got America her freedom. I mean, quite frankly, you know, uh, Thomas Paine, who wrote Common Sense, is called a freedom fighter. David Walker, who wrote uh, Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World, who's saying we have a right now. We 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 have a right 
to defend ourselves. Mm-hmm. He's called uh, uh, an instigator and, and, you know, all of these horrible things. And really, after uh, David Walker's appeal is when you start seeing like plantation uh, owners and, and, you know, slave owners really mm-hmm. heavily enforcing this this whole idea of not teaching um Black people to read mm-hmm. because if they start reading this kind of stuff and they start getting, oh, you're going to educate you know? them now. Now <laughs> so anyway, have problems. What I'm trying to say is, we all have a right. If somebody does something to your child, if your child is mistreated, you have every right to be angry. Mm-hmm. What you do with that anger, right? How do you channel it in a productive way that gets you to where you need to be? Right. So. I'm saying that I think that the protests are an expression of that rage and that it's an, it's a it's a legitimate expression because how could you not how could you not be angry right and so in the class I'm certainly not trying to be incendiary or or and, and there's really more white kids in the class than black kids quite frankly but I'm just saying that sometimes Anger can be productive and it can motivate you to do the right thing. You know what I mean? And Mm so um, let's not just always try to um, say, well, they're overreacting or or isn't there, you know, why don't you try working within the system? Well, quite frankly, the the system doesn't work for me and, and it wasn't designed to, you know, and not to say that you can't occupy whiteness, not to say that you can't get into these spaces and help affect change. I think it just is across the board, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Wherever you are, whatever it is that you have available to you in terms of your talent or resources and those things, um, if you're serious about this, then you do what you can in the space that you're in. And some people are, are more committed than others. That's just human, right? But I do think that we all have some responsibility, you know, just as human beings to in some way address things that are not fair to other human beings. This in the big picture, this isn't right. Yeah, exactly. Just an acknowledgement of that. Right. <laughs> you know, it starts with that. Yeah. And then how do we fix this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What can we do moving forward? Exactly. exactly. So I guess to, to kind of tie it up and put, put a bow on it, what are your hopes moving forward? So, and then, then, let the record show. <laughs> this is the first time I looked at my questions. Yeah, that's right. The whole, the whole conversation. I know. Um, I know. What are your hopes moving forward? Is is the discuss? Is there still a discussion to be had? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like in terms of? Uh, there it is. What yeah. does it look like? So, and I'm going to say this to you, Mike, and I mean this very sincerely. Uh, from the first time we met, we hit it off, right? And, you know, we get to talking and we're talking over each other and we're laughing and, you know, my nose is running and all this stuff is happening. That's what I would like to see. You know, I would like to see a time where we can have difficult conversations, still be able to laugh, still be able to learn from each other. I mean, how many things did I learn in this conversation about black history, mm-hmm. right? Um, things that I wasn't aware of. And that that's what I that's what I would like to see happen. I think we kind of inadvertently modeled 
what I hope to see, you know, working here. And so like with the program like uh, that happened last night on critical race theory, if people can come into that space, even if they don't totally agree and at least be willing to listen and have a conversation. Um, we work with the uh, International um, Institute uh, uh, Restoration, right? And so um, one of the things that is really important for us as an institution is to implement restorative practices. How do you rebuild communities? How do you rebuild relationships? And so, as I said earlier, you know, oftentimes, um, you know, and Anna Marie has been very strategic about it, you know, asking, you know, some of the administrative staff to just hang out on the floor, you know, and to just kind of interact with the folks that are coming through the museum. And from that experience and, and you know, with no, you know, museum badge on mm-hmm. or what have you, right. just kind of, you know, being a, a fly on the wall, if you will. And to kind of think about, you know, what you're what you're watching and then us as a staff having conversations about that. And so um, one of the things that I've witnessed is that a lot of people came in with an expectation that this was going to be the Kansas City Museum that they encountered in 1970, you know, with the igloo and the taxidermy. Right. (laughs) And so since we moved in this new direction, that really is an attempt to tell the whole story. And if we can't do it with content, with programming and, you know, with other innovative ways of making sure that we are telling the stories about places like Lake Placid, that we are doing a good job of just presenting the things that happened as they happened. And even with that, there are some people who have had some negative reactions, Uh, you know, um, people who've made some off-putting comments and who are not happy with the way that the museum is uh, presenting its content. And so... We want to have a conversation with those people. We want to try to figure out a way to invite them back into this space and to to have a dialogue. Um, We don't want this to be an echo chamber. You know, we know and and even you and I today, like there are a couple of things you said that I needed to understand a little bit better. A couple of things I said and I saw your face kind of, well, (laughs) (laughs) you know what I mean? But um, to hopefully engage you know not only people who see things the way that we do but people who don't and even if we don't agree you know come to some level of understanding of what it is that we're trying to do as a museum and what what role does a museum play in a in a post George Floyd America and I think a very significant one anything else that you'd care to add well just that um I really think that the the Kansas City Museum, and it's not just because, you know, I work here, um, but when we talk about what's going on, for instance, with critical race theory and this whole push against teaching certain things about history in the classroom, well, there are already articles being written about teachers who have gotten fired, teachers who are scared for their jobs, teachers who've been doing things a certain way, who've been, you know, and I'm talking about white teachers too, who, you know, not necessarily been trying to indoctrinate their children, but just doing, you know, what they feel is a more, um, you know, 
inclusive kind of uh, sharing of what happened as America was evolving. And, you know, um, if if we can, because we're outside of that system, you know what I mean? So like when we're talking about what do you do, you know, like, do you just do it quietly? Do you do it with protests in the streets? And, you know, my argument is that you do it everywhere. Right. So there is a need, like if we're looking at education as the system for teachers in that space to do the best that they can, but when they are, encumbered or they're not able to because of the way that the system is set up to do that, then can the Kansas City Museum step in and say, hey, well, if you bring your fifth graders here, that topic that you wanted to address in your class that you couldn't, we can have a conversation about it here. And and be an enlightening yeah. and positive conversation. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, it, it's 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 like trying to 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 drink uh, the ocean with a thimble, you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's it's a lot. It's a lot of work, um, and I don't want to. What's the word I'm looking for? Oh, so so like <laughs> when I was doing that, uh, I did a podcast with the Nelson right, and and the Nelson Atkins Museum of Art that summer. Um, of 2020, one of the things that happened, and I don't know if we talked about this before, Mike, but um, if I get the story correct, and I think I'm pretty accurate because I've been working with the, I work with a lot of cultural institutions. It's really been a great opportunity for me um, in terms of the work that I do. So I might not be you know, on the staff at that institution, but I'm able to do programming with them and work with them in some way. So the Nelson is one of those places. And so I know a lot of people there. And I think what happened was the police department needed a place to stage to prepare for the protests. And um, the Nelson just had the optimal, <laughs> you know what I mean? Space for that to happen, yeah. you know, in their parking lot and they um, in the back. Yeah. Well, so it, <laughs> I guess what I'm that that yeah so that is so unfortunate but but what I'm saying is the optics on that so right. someone from mm-hmm. the police department called someone in the security department who called you know somebody else in the administration they were like well, you all the security you make that decision you know not thinking that when the optics of that got <laughs> blown up on social media you know the backlash so. You know, I don't have to be an apologist for the Nelson. I think it was just in this particular case, I think it was just one of those things. Right. I don't think that the Nelson was saying, hey, these protesters are coming. We want a police presence, you know, to protect us. Right. Um, I don't think that was the conversation that took place. But the look, the optics were not great. And so, uh, well, and yeah, because you had you had people from the Nelson board mm-hmm. and, and donors. Yeah. And yeah. We're talking yeah. Nelson donors. Sure, now, sure. Um, that said, no, we don't. You get those people off site right now. Yeah. And I think I, the flash point was mm-hmm. so low mm-hmm. at that particular point in mm-hmm. time. It just boom. Yeah, and exactly. It, and it was just like, well, it's the genie's out of the bottle now, <laughs> and it just yeah. there ain't no getting it back. Yeah. So see, that's the thing. So like with the with the directors, and this is with any institution, just because the, the board of directors are not always 
in tune with what, you know, the, the staff is wanting to, you know, there, there, it is certainly not unusual for a board <laughs> and a staff to perhaps have some areas where they're pulling in different directions. Right. Right. So, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to be an apologist for the Nelson. I um, can only speak to, you know, who I work with Uh And from the top level on down, I just do not think, based on my interaction with them, that that was the case. I think that um, the point that you bring in, it it becomes very nuanced and complicated. Mm -hmm. But what I will say, the result of that was this kind of uh, moment where the Nelson says, let's do some self-interrogation. Let's talk about our history. Let's talk about how... You know, J.C. Nichols was was, you know, one of our first trustees. Let's talk about who William Rockhill Nelson was. Let's talk about, um, you know, these Keck reliefs that are on, on the outside of the building that depict, uh, you know, Native Americans in this horrible light and the colonists as, as being the, the heroes in that story. And so. um However, and, you know, like I said, I wasn't there. I don't know who said, I mean, I, we know that that happened. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? But I don't know all the ins and outs and the specifics of it. Mm-hmm. But, and that's what's interesting when you and I get to talk. All I was really trying to get at is when we were, <laughs> what I was really trying to get at is when we were sitting around the table brainstorming this podcast that we were going to do to really try to investigate all of these things and to, to be candid, you know, I think, and transparent was like, oh, man, you know what? We're going to fix racism. <laughs> this podcast <laughs> is going to fix it. And so that was our kind of internal joke. So here at the Kansas City Museum, I don't have this notion that we're going to fix racism. But I do believe with what we have and where we are, we can do what we can to make a difference. And thank you for listening to the Northeast Newscast. For all our episodes, articles, and more, visit northeastnews.net. As we continue our 90-year tradition of delivering free newspapers to Northeast residents, now you can help the Northeast News continue to produce community journalism directly by joining us on Patreon at patreon.com slash northeastnewskc. In exchange, we hope to offer our Patreon subscribers access to exclusive content. 